previously on Murder, Etc. My husband and his deputy friend, Ken Pettis, had plans to go bird hunting. Frank Looper had scheduled to go with them, but at the last minute, he said that he was not able to go. You know, when I got the call, I almost dropped the phone because, I mean, it was such a shock. We were all just devastated. Naturally, you would be. You know, my brother died right away, and Frank lived a, just a short day or two, and he passed on. You turn the page, and you read, narcotics officer shot in head. That one caught me. And you, all you have to do is read about three or four paragraphs into that before you said this is a story. It sounded like he was about to bust somebody. He was aware of something terribly wrong that was getting ready to be made public. Within 24 hours of the Lupus being murdered, word on the street is it's Wacky Wakefield. The people thought that, that he was railroaded, and I don't know that to be true or not, but um, there wasn't a lot of evidence pointed to him. The word on the street was that, uh, that, that they had the wrong person. I'm not the author of revenge. God is. If God decides that somebody should pay for what has happened to me, then that's going to be God. That's not going to be me. Go over up on that backside over there, you'll see you know one of the guys in the Dawson gang. Well, everybody's buried here. On a windy day in February, Adele McCauley and I are looking across 51 acres of granite. It's in that section right there. Right there. I've been in that section. How did I miss that section? Graceland Cemetery, now known as Graceland Cemetery West, has a highway bordering it on two sides. Just over its east fence is West Greenville, the neighborhood where Lieutenant Frank Looper grew up. For more than 100 years, Greenville County has been burying its dead underneath nearly every square foot of this land. On this day, we're walking between markers, looking for a headstone around which rests three generations of men, all with the same name, Rufus Franklin Looper. I'm pretty sure it is. You sort of get blind after seeing, you know, thousands of these. Over the past six months, I've spent hours walking these acres of grass, looking for Frank Looper. I could have gone to the cemetery office and asked for a map, but I didn't. In a way, it was peaceful to search for one man among thousands of others. I've taken this walk many times, at first not finding Frank Looper, but often discovering a connection to his story. A member of the gang of drug thieves Looper was fighting, a man who said he saw the Looper's killer running away. They're among the people who were never leaving Graceland. Beside me, Adele is straining to look up the hill. She retired from her job less than two months before we drove through Graceland's gates together. As we wound our way up the road, she looked far enough that she could see the day she'd be buried next to her kin. Marriott and Jesse gave me two plots next to them. So I think me and Tom are gonna get buried here one of these days. A couple hours earlier, I'd been looking through pictures with Adele, and we'd seen one of her cousin Frank just after he'd gone into the Navy. He looked like a child. One who would grow into such a good-looking man, his younger cousin would still think years later about how handsome he was. And that's how Adele and I know each other. Our bond is her dead cousin, at one time Greenville County's top drug cop, buried in a cold rain four decades earlier. Adele stood in that rain, watching an endless line of mourners wearing badges, marching toward two graves just dug out of frozen ground. I asked if she would go with me to the cemetery and help me find her cousin. It's in here. 
I remember coming to the funeral for Granddaddy. It wasn't too far off the road here. I remember finding a looper in this area, but I couldn't find Frank or... Searching for the loopers is not much different than looking for the truth. There's barely a mile between the place Rufus and Frank Looper met their killer and the place where their family buried them. Still, we have to walk and walk to find their graves. The truth about their murders is another journey, one that ripples out like one row of graves after another, through gangsters and lawmen, through facts and lies, through what investigators told the people of Greenville was true and what many people actually believe. It seems the secret to finding both the loopers and the truth is to keep walking. I have a map or something. Granddaddy, I know, has a headstone. Hold on, up here. I see a looper. I don't know if it's your looper. I finally look up and see the name Looper carved into a piece of granite. Adele and I cut through the headstones to get to it, and I realize for the second time it's not the right one. This is the one I found before, and I'm like, I don't know any of these names. It's right in here somewhere. Mullinax, the hills, and the Mullinaxes, and the loopers. The Looper grave should be easier to find. Two of the five people buried around the marker were victims of murder. One of them, Frank Looper, was a cop. Seems like his name's everywhere. There's a memorial to him inside and outside the County Law Enforcement Center, on a plaque at the South Carolina Law Enforcement Officers Hall of Fame, and cut into the east wall of the National Law Enforcement Memorial in Washington, D.C. But up until this particular day, the closest I'd come to Frank Looper was his autopsy photos. While you're setting up, I was gonna read this to you. This is a letter dated Sunday night, November the 13th, 1960, 9.10 p.m. Before Adele and I went to the cemetery, we sat in a little home on the edge of the county where her brother Scott lives. Adele had been digging through old boxes and come up with a 58-year-old letter from Frank Looper to his grandparents. He writes, Dearest Mama and Diddy, I hope this finds both of you well and feeling fine. Frank Looper was 19 years old when he wrote that letter. He was one year into a four-year tour with the U.S. Navy, fresh out of Greenville High School. No clue yet what life and what death awaited him. His high school alumni include Billy Wilkins, the prosecutor in the Looper's murder case, and Greenville High football star Johnny Mac Brown, who took office as sheriff not too long after Looper died. As a matter of fact, when I first came in, I made the Officer of the Year the Frank Looper Award. And his mother would always hand out the Frank Looper Deputy of the Year Award. This coming Thursday, which is the 17th, we leave the pier and go out in the harbor. We will be out there until the 22nd when we depart for Pearl Harbor. If you ask Looper's cousins, they'll tell you there's a reason Frank Looper took the time to compose a long, neatly printed letter to his grandparents, his grandma, and the grandfather he called Diddy. This is Frank's cousin, Scott. I suspect that his mother and daddy weren't quite as nurturing as some others. And so I, I think Frank got that nurture and love that a child needs and deserves a lot from our grandparents. In his high school pictures, Frank Looper looks happy and relaxed. It seems to be the same kind of peaceful childhood Julia McCauley, now 91 years old, remembers with her brother, Frank's father, Rufus. When he was a teenager, he used to tickle me and, you know, make me laugh. And I was just, I just couldn't hardly stand tickling. <laughs> but they just, you know, just normal boy things that want to pick at you when you're little sisters. And <laughs> but Julia's children, Frank's cousins, 
say that years later, life at home with his father could be uncomfortable for Frank. There was a period of time Frank's father drank, and during that time, a teenage Frank Looper gravitated toward his deeply religious grandfather. Remember how I always loved to go to the mountains and everywhere with you, and when we would go up to Saluda, I would always take a box to gather those big acorns. So years later, when Frank sat on the Navy boat in the San Diego Harbor, waiting to ship out for the tropics, he was wishing he could be home for the holidays with his grandma and Diddy. There is one thing for sure. I still love to go places with y'all, and I'll always will. I know that there isn't anyone anywhere who has a grandmother and grandfather as wonderful as mine. With sunshine on his horizon, he thought of his grandparents living in a small house in the country with no central heating. I understand from Mother that you're probably going to get some heat out there pretty soon. I know y'all be happy when you do. It seems that the winter there at home is getting more severe each year. No matter how far he traveled, Looper's heart was at home. And very often, it was as much with the four-legged family he left behind as it was his relatives. On this afternoon, Adele remembered the dogs she had as a child and how often they came to a bad end. I would just be so distraught and I would just be crying my eyes out. And I can remember Mother go, you have a phone call. And I would answer the phone. It would be Frank. Always Frank would call me, even when I was just seven or eight years old. I was little. And he would just say, this is Frank. I heard about your dog. And I know, I just, I can feel it. I just know how bad that hurts. I know how much you love those dogs, and they loved you too. When Adele told me this story about Frank Looper's compassion, it reminded me of something I'd read in an old newspaper article. Less than a year before his death, the Greenville News featured Looper, then the head of the county drug unit. The headline read, Escaped Heroin Addict Surrenders to Agents. Looper and his partners had busted a man, one with a 24 to 30 bag a day heroin habit, one who told Looper he was going into withdrawal. Looper tried to get the man into the hospital twice, but both times doctors turned them away, saying the addict wasn't really sick. And when Looper tried to take the man back a third time, he walked out of the emergency room. It was, under the law, an escape. Frank Looper saw it differently. It was a man just looking for a solution to his pain, one who got his fix and immediately surrendered, one who, as Frank Looper saw it, wasn't hurting anymore. Where Frank Looper grew up, there was nothing contradictory about having both a deep love for hunting and a compassion for the hunted. You know how I love to hunt, and that is what I have set my mind to doing. After my family and my sweet little genie, hunting is my next love. When the 19-year-old Frank Looper wrote home, it was largely a love letter to hunting for rabbits, for quail, for whatever he and his grandfather might have hunted together. At some point, Frank earned the nickname Hawkeye. I will sure miss getting to go rabbit hunting on opening day. You know, I haven't been rabbit hunting since I was a senior in high school. This will make two seasons that I've missed, and I don't intend to miss the next one. That is why I hope I can stand being away from good old Greenville until next November. On the day someone shot him in the head, Looper planned to be with a group of men who hunted birds by day and drug runners by night. A group of men one hunter's wife remembers very well. My name is Frida Belk. My husband was John Belk. John Belk wasn't an academy-trained cop. He worked for General Motors, GMAC, the finance division. It was a good living, 
but it was just a job. He was an energetic person and got hooked on listening to his scanner. He eventually hooked up with some of the members of the sheriff's department, mainly narcs, as they call them. He liked to stay up late, and he became one of them. And they would go out every single night and make drug busts. At the start of the war on drugs, Looper wore a thick beard and long hair. His buddies called him the Fuzzy Beast, a disguise that was good, but didn't work long in a small city's drug scene. So he pulled in people who enjoyed the adrenaline that came with being an undercover cop. People like adrenaline junkie John Belk. And unlike a lot of wives, Frida Belk was cool with that. That was fine with me. He didn't need a lot of sleep, and it made him happy. He was very successful in making some bust and finding some criminals. It got in his blood, and uh, that's what he did for many years. John Belk slept with his police scanner on and sprung from bed in the middle of the night if he heard action going on anywhere. This is his son, Jay. He just loved anything that had to do with action, whether it was golfing and gambling or police action is what really drove him. And um, he was just enticed by the, the adrenaline rush and finding, finding the bad people out there that were thieves and crooks, and he wanted to bust their ass. Frank Looper and his partner, Miles Cheatham, turned GM finance man John Belk into a narc. They did the same with Ken Pettis, a football coach from nearby Furman University, a drug-fighting team that used the Belk House as a second headquarters. My dad was such a fun person to be around. He often would dress incognito, and he, he had hippie clothes, mostly made out of denim with patches. Oh, it was exciting. Had a blonde wig, and he would wear a hat on top of that wig. A lot of the guys, they were fun, and they liked to play with me and tease me and rile me up. And sunglasses, and he'd have his gun stuck in his uh, waist. They were single guys, and they had nothing else to do. The deputies would go out at night, but before they would go out, they would often come to our house and we would have a meal and cook out. I was a redheaded little curtain climbing kid and I looked forward to having visitors come over. And uh, it made quite a picture. That team started to kick a soft spot into the Greenville drug trade unlike any had done before. Looper ended each night with John Belk's admiration. John was very fond of him. He was a, a very good narc, as they call him. All along, Looper seemed to keep true to a sort of pragmatic compassion, a personal code that guided his hunts. Few people, maybe no one, knows that better than Adele McCauley. He would come out to the house, and I, I smoked pot. And I used to think, oh my God, here comes Frank. Oh Lord, I always kept everything up. You know, I didn't want any, I was afraid I'd get in trouble. Which is why she remembers one night so well. The night, the fancy-free Adele and her friend were riding through Greenville's Cleveland Park in a little MG, and the lights came on behind them. We had just bought a bag of pot, and we I was rolling a joint, and we were smoking pot, driving through the park, and um, we get pulled over. I'm like, oh, hell. Adele was in a tight spot. The cousin of the county's top drug cop busted carrying. The cops put her in one car and her friend in another, Adele had a decision to make. I thought, okay, you, you got to figure out a way out of this. And I said, all right, for what it's worth, my cousin is Frank Looper. And they went, wait a minute. <laughs> the cops disappeared, and Adele could hear the radios crackling in the background. And in a few minutes, I came back and they said, you can go. Just listen. If you're going to smoke pot, get on the interstate and roll the windows down. 
And I was thinking, yeah, but it makes the joint burn faster. Anyway, and then he said, okay, just stay out of trouble. Adele handed over her pot and the cops walked back to their cars. I started up my little car and we we're getting ready to go and they flashed their lights like stop. And they come up to the door and they said, hey, you got any rolling papers? <laughs> what happened that night? Adele has no idea, but she likes to think her cousin Frank got her out of a jam. I, I know Frank bailed me out. He got me out of trouble. He never said a word to me about it. He never said a word. He never said a word to anybody in the family. And I always thought, okay, he's pretty, he's pretty cool. If all of what you've heard sounds like a family romanticizing a dead relative, know this. In countless on and off the record conversations, I have never heard a bad thing about Frank Looper. You'll find there are three kinds of people in this story. People who are unafraid to tell the truth, people who know the truth, but are afraid to tell it, and a third group, one Andy Etheridge has met too, as he conducted his own obsessive investigation. People who might question the case, but not allowed. If you agree that this wasn't a robbery gone bad, then it was an officer killed in the line of duty. And and I, I think that a lot of times, as, as I've talked with this case, and people have talked with me about what I'm doing, especially people that are of that era, they don't want to open this book up and talk about it because they think it brings in a hint that maybe Frank Looper wasn't, you know, wasn't all above board. They, they don't want to sully his name to think maybe he was somehow tied up in this corruption. And the, the truth that I believe is he wasn't. That's, that's the tragedy of it. He wasn't. He, he held his head above all of that. You got to risk a little bit to get the truth out there. And I think when, you know, the truth is he was a, he was a stand-up guy, and, and he was killed because of it. If everyone believed the right man went away for the Looper murders, then this episode would just be a long eulogy. Memories and grief. Stories you tell to remember someone. But it's more than that. Because, in addition to Andy Etheridge and lots of other people around Greenville, Frank Looper's relatives don't believe the right guy ended up on death row. Over the past few years, I've met with the Looper South Carolina family several times. That's my granddaddy. That's grandmother. They were very old-fashioned. While we sat with her brother Scott and looked at pictures, talking about the old days, the conversation always led to the day that changed everything, the last day of January in 1975. I was at home, and mother got the phone call. Frank's mother looked out the window and saw somebody go into the garage. So she told Frank he had his gun told him to go down and check on his daddy because she saw somebody look suspicious. He went down there and they shot him in the head just like they did my brother. When you're 13, 14, you're really self-absorbed. I remember a whole lot of that, but I'm kind of ashamed of how I responded to it as a teenager that, you know, I just wanted it to be over so I could go home. And I, I just wanted it to all end. In the middle of all the grief for the dead, two Rufus Franklin Loopers, Scott McCauley's strongest memory was what happened to the Rufus Franklin Looper who had to live through it. I just remember how profoundly upset my grandfather was. The most profound thing to me was to see my grandfather cry. Uh, that was just, that was horrible. That was just heart-wrenching. I'd never seen my grandfather that upset. It was awful. The weight of the Looper's grief hangs heavy on their voices and in their eyes as you watch them remember. And it hasn't gotten easier to carry over four decades. It's only gotten heavier because they share it with another family, one that lost someone too, for almost 40 years, 
That family is the Wakefield family, Charles Wakefield's family. Charles Wakefield, the man South Carolina sent to death row. I don't think any of us ever really bought the official line of the police. And, and what's really a shame is that man Wakefield, I think he was a convenient patsy. You know, it ruined his life. It didn't just ruin a lot of lives in our family. It, it ruined a whole other family's lives. Scott's conviction there calls into question one of the biggest convictions Billy Wilkins ever earned, one that put him on a path to becoming one of the most respected federal judges in the last half century. In 1976, Wilkins was the chief prosecutor in Wakefield's trial, and Wilkins still defends that death penalty case as if he had tried it yesterday. And I know things that other people don't know. And I do know that the uh, Looper family, years later, I think their emotions were preyed upon by some trying to advanced Wakefield's parole. The day I sat and looked at pictures with the Macaulay siblings, I told them what Wilkins had said about a New York attorney preying on their emotions. I think my emotions were more swayed by Charles. Meeting him and talking to Charles, he is not a killer. I mean, this, this guy is not a killer. And knowing the Greenville, South Carolina that I grew up in, and the racial divide at that time, I think the good old boys did whatever the good old boys needed to do. And I disagree with Billy Wilkins. <laughs> Scott McCauley said he had seen all of the evidence, and it didn't sway his feelings at all. Well, I guess I always sort of had this nagging feeling that this Wakefield guy didn't do that, and that, that something was wrong with the story coming out of the police. This looks like a gangland slaying, like a execution, execution style, that, that someone is sending a message to law enforcement and you know, this is what happens. Scott stewed over Wilkins' comments for a long time before deciding it was insulting, patronizing even, for Wilkins to suggest that some out-of-town lawyer could come in and plant new ideas and emotions in their head. I don't think it was an emotional decision to, to get behind Wakefield's release at all. It, you look at it with the aid of some time and history behind us, and, and you see all of this evidence was circumstantial, and the eyewitness evidence was sketchy at best. The entire thing just reeks of a railroading that we need to throw somebody in prison for this whether it's the right guy or not, and, and make people quit talking about it. The Macaulay's belief in Wakefield's innocence goes beyond knowing him personally and beyond what an attorney revealed to them years ago. Frank Looper had told a trusted reporter and his family that he was on the verge of cracking a major case. Weeks before he died, he hinted at it during a family gathering at his grandfather's house. And Frank had been out there, and he told us he was on to something big. Really big, he said. Really big, yeah. He said he was really on, on something big. He didn't tell us what it was. He made it sound like it had the significance of possibly a national news story. That would be my interpretation of how big it was. After the loopers were dead, and everyone had declared the case closed, Adele started to hear from strangers. I got a phone call from somebody that used to work with Frank. He was afraid to talk to me because he said it was scary to talk on telephone because he was afraid he might be recorded. But we talked for quite a while on the phone and I, and I kept asking him questions. He said, I can't talk about that on the phone. 
So whoever this person is, he basically told me to be careful. Told you what? Be careful that there are people that would like for me to keep my mouth shut. I was told a lot of the same things that you were. In fact, in just the past six or eight months, I've had several different people tell me to watch my back, to be careful, and to let it go. Who is there left that would have anything to lose unless the killer is still alive? Adele, her mother, and a lot of people I've talked to believe there's evidence to suggest the loopers weren't targeted for their money, but that the loopers were in fact targets themselves because Frank Looper knew too much and that his murder hadn't come without warning. There was a point not too long before the murders happened that somebody drove by Frank's house at night and shot the front of the house. Mm -hmm. And Frank went out and did some investigating about that, but never discovered who did it. Didn't that happen at Daddy's house at the it farm? Happened, it happened at Granddaddy's house, too. My Daddy's house. Because when I lived in the house, people would go, what's that? I said, it's a bullet hole. It was right before he was killed. But but you remember that happened? You remember your daddy telling you about that? Yeah, I, I went out. I mean, I I've been out the there. I saw I, it. Every time I'd go in the house, it'd be like, "There's that bullet hole." Was this like the first time the house had ever been shot? I mean, did, yeah. <laughs> I mean, did your did, did your grandpa or did your dad have enemies that would come after him? Or? Oh no, no. No, <laughs> no Lord, no. It wasn't lost on Adele, her mother, or me. Someone had shot up a house in the city. Someone had shot up a house in the country, and both houses had mailboxes labeled R.F. Looper. Scott and Adele's mother, Julia, still lives in Casey, 100 miles south of Greenville. Adele now lives two hours away from Greenville in the Atlanta area. Scott and his wife live in Greenville County, where this all happened. Scott's wife does a live YouTube show about crafts every Wednesday night. They lead a quiet life, but every once in a while, they'll hear something from someone in town. Someone talking about losing a family member to violence. Someone talking about innocent people in prison. And the soft-spoken Scott can't keep quiet. Sometimes people talk about somebody being falsely accused. I might bring it up then and, and say, you know, we really don't think that Mr. Whitefield did this. This is what we did as a family and to try to set things right. It bothers me that his entire life has been ruined. That is where the Macaulay's grief meets their guilt. Where the justice they got met the injustice they believe they discovered. And where Scott, at one point years later, met Charles Wakefield in a McDonald's. I don't think I've ever met a more gentle man. Today, Julia Scott and Adele all know Charles Wakefield as well or better than they knew Frank Looper. Over the past decade, the Macaulay's have become advocates for the man convicted of killing two people buried in their family plot somewhere in the middle of Graceland Cemetery. Oh, look. There's another looper right there, but it's like R S R F. It's right there. I'll be and Leora is over Leonora. Le that's it, that's it. We were maybe 30 steps away from it. A slab of granite, the name looper carved into it. Okay. How in the hell did I miss this? Around it, there are four markers set into the grass. This is granddaddy and grandmother. Mm -hmm. This is Rufus Jr. And five people buried under it. Vera Looper made lunch for her husband one January day. She got scared and asked her son to check on his father. She lost both men minutes later. Today, she's buried in an unmarked plot between them. And I don't know why they never put a marker for her. Hey. And here's Frank. Wow. Been looking for this thing for years. And there was Frank Looper's grave. 
had been there in that Graceland Cemetery plot for 44 years, ever since a wet snow had turned to cold rain. And Vera Looper, the one I found at rest under an unmarked patch of grass, had wobbled against her grief at her husband and son's funeral. That day in 1975, she wore a scarf over her head and clutched a tri-folded American flag against her chest. Her brothers held tight to her elbows, and Greenville County said goodbye to two Looper men. When it was over, Vera Looper's brothers led her away. The mourners heard her weeping as she said, my two boys. Somebody said years later that whoever killed the Looper men had committed a triple murder because Vera Looper's heart broke that day and never recovered. In 1960, Frank Looper was on a boat bound for Pearl Harbor, writing his grandparents about their dog, Shag. In the meantime, y'all take good care of yourselves and little Shag too. Give him some loving for me. I sure love that little rascal. It had only been a year since he graduated from Greenville High School, walking the halls with no clue that one day people would walk through a cemetery looking for him on headstone after headstone, like someone looking for names on mailboxes trying to find the right Frank Looper. The one Adele and I found may have known the truth himself, but he died before he could tell it. And his death left his family and lots of other people in search of the truth about his murder. Take care, write soon. I love you, good night and sleep good. Back at Greenville High, in the front of Frank Looper's yearbook, a layout editor printed the school song. The last line of one stanza reads, only through the truth shall we be free. All my love, always. Your hunting, loving grandson, Hawkeye Frank. P.S. Diddy, if you go hunting Thanksgiving morning, try to get a rabbit for me. If you'd like to read more about Frank Looper and this part of the story, we've got pictures of his undercover crew and lots more on the website, murderetcpodcast.com. That's murderetcpodcast.com. And if you want to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you like to get your podcast. And if you've liked what you've heard so far, you can do us a big favor by posting a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and passing it on to your friends on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next time on Murder, Etc. Hal Looper was killed, shot behind the left ear, about an inch from the ear loop. That right there, the placement of that placement of the bullets and all, and them to say it was a robbery murder case does not add up at all. Investigators begin to work for justice as people question just what kind of justice they're trying to achieve. That's next time on Murder, Etc. Cetera. <laughs>